Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I was reading uh, this week in the scriptures, as I hope all of us do during the week, and we read that particular chapter or verse or devotional. We offer you devotionals. I don't know how many of you take them, but we have plenty of devotionals uh, for you to take uh, just free at hand. So every morning you wake up, you have something to read before you go to work and have that moment of intimacy and prayer with the Lord before you go off to work and leave your home. Or even if you stay at home, you can read that devotional and enjoy yourself. But I like to take time during the week and during my day when it's time to settle down to just take the Word of God and read a little bit. And I came across this wonderful passage of Scripture that I've read so many times, and I know that you have too. But as I read it, something bubbled up in my spirit with such joy. And, and again, I use the word assurance because that's the only way I can express how I feel this morning. I feel reassured. Uh, fear goes away when you're reassured. It's the unknown and, 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 and the, those things that you don't foresee or really understand that bring fear into the lives of a person. But when a person is reassured... You stand up straight and there's a certain visible confidence uh, in your talk and in your walk. And I feel that uh, in particular this Sunday morning and throughout the week as I read this passage. And I pray that as, as I do my best this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit, help convey to you, ladies and gentlemen, that, uh, that we can be assured as believers that heaven is our destiny. That heaven, that we are all glory bound. Amen. I want you to believe that today. I don't want you to doubt it for a minute, regardless of what the world might be doing or anyone around you might be saying. For those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God wants us to be assured that heaven is our home. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 5 or 7 is the passage I'm speaking about this morning that I've read this past week. And I just read it over and over. I could almost read it to you verbatim. Uh, speak it to you verbatim, but I'm going to read it for the sake of maybe forgetting a little something. But look into the Word of God, Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Think about that for a second. Very rarely will one surrender his life for someone who is good. We don't know any people or hardly anybody, if anybody. The only kind of sacrifice that I can think of when I think of this are our troops uh, overseas and those who serve in the military who offer their lives for us, not even knowing us. But in this passage, there's something even more beautiful because it's speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person... Someone might possibly dare to die. But God, everybody say, but God. But God demonstrates his own personal love, his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, while you and I were still in sin, Still worthy of being unwanted, depreciated, and unvalued. At that point in our lives, the Bible says that Christ 
gave his life or died for us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? To know that the Lord had no reason, that we had nothing to offer him, nothing to coerce him, nothing to encourage him to give his life for us. If anything else, all the contrary, as we continue to read, we'll find in what place we really found ourselves. And even though we must remember that while we were in that position, Jesus died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if... <coughs> When we were God's enemies. Hmm. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more? Everyone say, how much more? Having been reconciled. See, by the death of his son. Justified by the death of his son. Look at the work of the cross Look at it, everything it did for us. And it just identified us as enemies of God, worthy of the wrath of God. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, not only is this a matter of fact, but we also rejoice. We talked about joy just a Service ago or so. That we should be a happy people. That rejoicing is fundamental to the life of a Christian. Because being sad and bitter is a bad representation of who Christ is in our lives. Amen? We determined that last week. How many have been happier this week? How many have truly been happier this week? How many are trying to be happier this week? That's okay. You can say that too. I've been trying to be happier this week. Not only so... Oh, is this so? But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. Ladies and gentlemen, this devotional this morning, I, I aim and the objective, if you will, in my heart as I pray the Holy Spirit would help me be a message of assurance to you. In our devotion this morning, we will rest on this text, specifically on the last part that I just read right now, which is what I want to talk to you about a little bit. Where it says, for if we, if we, when we were enemies, were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by His life? A little summary of the thoughts of Paul in this passage, if I can. He's telling us that the Lord Jesus was delivered upon a cross. He gave his life on a cross because of our offenses and was raised again for our justification to make us right again. In the blood of Christ on that cross, the Bible says also that the wrath of God, the anger of God, the disappointment of God over humanity's sin over our sin, was taken away. It was settled. There was peace because of his blood on that cross. It was taken from us and it rested upon him on that cross. And that is to say, in conclusion, 
that Jesus died our death. He suffered our penalty. He paid our ransom. And you and I are declared righteous and acceptable to God through the atoning death of Jesus. We are justified by his blood. Isn't that good news this morning? That's awesome. Isn't it awesome? Now, the question of the hour. After the cross, after the work of Christ on the cross, what shall become of me? What shall become of us after the cross? I've titled my conversation with you this morning simply Beyond the Cross. Put your hand over your heart this morning, would you please? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. As I place my hand over my heart, Father, I do it in, as a sign of surrender to you. Come inside my heart today and speak to me, Father. Encourage me. Correct me, Father God. Direct me. Teach me. All, Father God, with the objective of making me a, a soul, Father God, a life that is pleasing to you, Father. Bring reassurance, Father God, to my walk in you every day of my life from this moment on. In the name of your Son, our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. What shall become of me? If I've been justified by the blood of Christ, if I have been saved by his atoning grace, if I at one time being an enemy of God, hostile, without hope, without inheritance, as an orphan, a stranger, an outcast, and the only destiny that I could expect without that sacrifice was sure condemnation. Now that I am an heir of the family of God, now that I have been received into the household of God, what shall become of me? After these wonderful giftings of the Father, shall I face the possibility of hell? After everything Christ has done for you and me, shall we Face the possibility of one day coming short altogether of joining the Lord's great celebration as he gathers all the saints unto himself on that day. You and I who were once alienated from the house of God but now being adopted and heaven being accepted. Shall we, you and I, fall by the weight of all this sin and this downfall world that we live in shall we be pulled down by the power of the enemy and ultimately cast into a Christless eternity what shall become of you and me there is a great fact ladies and gentlemen when we look to the cross of Calvary and not too many people like to look to Calvary because it teaches us a lot when you pay attention to the significance of that cross, there's a lot to learn about us. Let me use this in a personal way and let me speak of what I learned for myself. When I look to the cross, I find that before the cross, I was weak in myself and powerless 
to even think that one day I would be able to present myself in perfection without blemish, without mistake unto the Lord on that day. When I look to the cross, I, I realize and I find that before the cross, I was a sinner and guilty and rightfully be do, to be condemned because of my falling and my downward state in life. But when I look at the cross again, I see that the Lord Jesus Christ reached out to me willingly on that cross. To make me righteous and to forgive my sins and to bring peace between me and the Father. He died in my stead. He died for my sins. He took the chastisement of all I have done. He took it willingly upon himself. That's what I learned from the cross. What does all of that mean though? It actually has a couple of definitions if you ask certain people in this circle of faith that we live in in this world. Some people think that the work of the cross is all we needed. It's settled. You can leave the place of Calvary and walk out and live your life any way you can. However, the work has been done. Remember that he said, it is finished. And so it doesn't matter anymore how we live our lives after the cross. Because some try to justify it very religiously and saying to think of anything else is to diminish the power of Christ on the cross. We just read he did mighty things for us. He justified us. He brought forgiveness to us. He cleansed us in his blood. He brought peace between us and the Father. And so we go about our merry way, leaving the hill of Calvary, and we live our lives as we desire anyway. It's all done. But those of us who know the Scripture know that there is a relationship with Christ even after the cross. Think about that. There's a relationship to be established. So why would you add anything? Why would you title your sermon Beyond the Cross? Because that's when life begins. It's beyond the cross that you and I begin to experience our walk with God. Now you say, no, no. The cross of Calvary is it. That's the closed business deal that is the last arrangement of Christ he did for the world we're done don't interrupt me with your religious thinking no listen ladies and gentlemen we have to understand that if there was nothing beyond the cross Jesus would have never made promises after the cross think about that for a second you see because Jesus died for me and bore him his, his, my sin upon himself it's over Ladies and gentlemen, if there was no life after the cross, Jesus would have never promised the things and promised in Scripture for us to embrace and to hold and to live by. 
So what shall we say? That I now, after the cross, I have the power for myself to run this race toward God and one day present myself in the presence of the Lord on my own merits? What shall I say after the cross that I can now achieve the goal for which Christ has taken a hold of me on my own? The answer to that is no, ladies and gentlemen. If heaven was left up to me even after the cross, I would fall short. If heaven was left up to me after the sacrifice of Christ and left up to me to make the rest of the journey home, I would fail immediately. There is still not yet enough in me, in my strength, in my ableness to somehow present myself before God's glory face to face at heaven's golden gates. Nothing. So to think that there's nothing beyond the cross, you're sadly mistaken. Everything is beyond the cross. Before the cross, we had nothing. During the cross, we received the great opportunity. After the cross, we have the great blessing of living out the work of the cross. Something beyond the cross, something beyond the cross that believers that you and I should take advantage of. That's when the promises and the guarantees of Christ that we can experience are left for us to live out. Through the troubles in this life that we live and they will continue till we see him face to face. Through this journey of ups and downs in our lives, you and I, that we walk daily. Christ left for us, ladies and gentlemen, promises of a sure victory. I asked the question this morning, what shall become of me? I'm hoping I can encourage you to believe that what shall become of you is the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. What shall become of you is that God will be faithful to fulfill his plan in every one of our lives and get us all the way to glory. You see, the cross, ladies and gentlemen, was the door was a, or the door of opportunity that God get, offered to us and gave to us. It was the door, the first stepping stone towards heaven. It was from the foot of that hill that we begin our journey toward heaven, hand in hand, heart to heart, victory through victory, trial to trial, and triumph to triumph with Christ. After the cross. I'm here to tell you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that the Lord not only died on the cross to break that wonderful door of opportunity for all of us to walk through. But it was at that cross that we received promises that we can expect him to fulfill as we walk with him after that cross. I was telling the church this morning, I said, you know, a lot of people carry like to carry necklaces and in their homes they have pictures of this certain Christ on the cross 
There's people today for religious practices or satisfactions. They go and they find at particular shrines around the world where there is a Christ that is crucified. And they bow their faces at that foot of the cross. I've got good news for us and bad news for those that believe he's still on the cross. He's not on the cross. I said he's not on the cross. He's not on the cross. You better get him off the cross. If you're carrying Christ on your neck and around your wrist and anywhere else you can put a crucified Christ, you better get him off if you want a Jesus that can work in your life. Let me just say that a crucified Christ on the cross to this moment is not worthy of being a God to follow. Because he's been held captive by death. But the Bible says that he walked and broke the chains of death. Though they were hot wax. Hallelujah. And today the cross is empty. We need to get him off the cross if we want him to work in our lives. If we let him off the cross and move beyond the cross. Then I believe and I can encourage you to believe in a savior that is worth trusting in. Because he has defeated death and the grave. Amen. The glory begins the day after the cross, ladies and gentlemen. The fellowship with Christ begins after the cross. 2 Timothy 4 and 18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Will. Please notice these words are in future tense. The Lord will rescue me. He could have said the word, the Lord has rescued me. But if you read the English, it says the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his kingdom. He will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. You notice that it's after. It's after he gave his life that he made these promises and gave us this guarantee. What shall become of us after the, Christ, the, the cross? Heaven. If we allow the Lord to work in our lives on a daily basis and embrace the promises of God as matter of facts in our lives, then the guarantee stands that you and I on that day will stand righteously forgiven and at peace with God and ready to receive the rest and the glory of the Lord. Amen? That's what Jesus promises. See, ladies and gentlemen, heaven is not a matter of our own strength. Going to heaven is not a matter of our own strength, but the strength and the power that we allow Jesus to move us and direct us in our daily lives. So many times we speak about the cross and somehow we're conditioned or persuaded to believe that the work on the cross that he did, and I'm not minimizing it at all. Thank God for the work on the cross. We worship the Lord because of his sacrifice and atonement for our sins on that cross. No disrespect, no minimizing, no depreciating the work of the cross. But there's something beyond that. So many times we speak on the cross from these pulpits and we somehow persuade people that that one act on the cross is all we need and we're done. So all of us can just camp out at the foot of that cross and move no longer. The whole idea of Calvary happened 2,000 years ago and the experience with the Lord is still there on Calvary in that day in a permanent place for all Christians to abide. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's not that way at all. Amen. 
No more was it that place of transfiguration. Remember when Peter and the rest were there and the glory of the Lord shone upon him and everybody saw that and it was Peter who said, it's good for us to stay here. I mean, who wouldn't, right? If I had been there, I would have been that Peter. I would have said, Lord, do we have to go anywhere? This is awesome. This is where my heart desires to be. But the Lord said, no, no, there's something after this. You see, you'll never be able to experience how faithful I am and how real I am and what I promise to be a fact. You'll never be able to experience it unless you move beyond the cross. That's where the promises begin to act upon your life. After the cross comes the promise of perfection, redemption, restoration, and restitution. At that moment. What a tremendous experience. What a gigantic hour the cross experience was. Paul did not minimize the work of the cross and neither should we. Galatians 6 and 14, Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which now the world has been crucified, uh, crucified unto me. He, he gave great thanks and great glory to the whole sacrificial day. May I never boast on anything except the cross. So we do the same. We acknowledge the Lord and the work of the cross. But we have to have that understanding and know that the work of the cross, the cross was more a beginning than an end. That's where you and I, at that moment, we begin to walk with him. It does not stop there. The experience we have in Christ is not isolated to that just one point. It's not just there on the cross. The experience of Christ is dynamic and it's life-giving, life-keeping, and life-directing. It has a sequel. The cross had a sequel. It has a follow-up. It has an after. It has a story. It has a history. It has a vision. It has an outreach, the cross does. Beyond the cross... Bible says again, having been reconciled unto God through the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved, delivered, justified fully. That happens after the cross. You and I will be completely saved, delivered, justified as the Lord continues to work in our lives. What Paul meant in the sixth verse of the first chapter of Philippians this is what he meant when he said, For we are confident of this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that song just a few weeks ago or last week. I don't know. He's still working on me. And that's exactly what happens after the cross. God begins to work on us so that we can begin to enjoy the justification. So we can begin to enjoy the forgiveness. So that you and I can begin to live out the righteousness. So that you and I can begin to enjoy fellowship and peace with God. Right now. Not 2,000 years ago. It began 2,000 years ago on Calvary. The same thing that Jesus himself meant in John 14 and 19. He said, because I live, you also shall live. Amen. So it was not a means to an end. It was the opening chapter to a glorious life in Christ. It was after the cross, ladies and gentlemen, that we received the promises of Christ. 
He promised to continue to work for us and with us. He continued to intercede for us, reveal his power to us, answer our prayer, defend us from the enemy, give us direction and good counsel. He promised to encourage us, to pick us up when we fall down, and to give us strength to keep walking toward heaven. All because he promised after the cross that he would take us all the way to the courts of glory. Can I say it this way? Maybe you'll understand this. He's not just our sacrifice savior. He is our risen hero. Not just a martyr. But he's mighty and full of power. Not just someone who laid down his life. But he's full of authority and faithfulness. And he is the one who will see that his promises be fulfilled. After the cross, he continues to be the one who holds our lives in his hand day after day. He is with us from the beginning and promised to be with us till the end. He was the creator in the beginning and he will be the establisher in our lives today. He is the Lord of heaven and he is alive and well And he is the God that promised us that after the cross, he would see us all the way through and present us unto the Father as a church without stain or wrinkle. That's the promises of the Lord. That's what's after the church. Who is likened unto the Lord? Some people today might say that Lord Jesus was just a man like any other man and that somehow Christianity in this world today is losing its power. I beg to differ, my friend. There is no one like God. He had no beginning and will have no end regardless of what the smartest individuals in this world might think. Exodus 15 and 11 reads, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you in majestic and holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Your unfailing love will lead the people you have redeemed in your strength. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. Nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified and the leaders of Moab will be seized and trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you brought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is great promise. What is this telling us as believers that we can be assured That as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we truly don't have to fear any evil. Because just like he did for the people of Israel, he fought off the enemy. So the Lord promises that after the cross, as we walk with him, we also can walk in whatever enemy tries to stop us from making all the way to glory. He will get in the way and defend us. Hallelujah. He will keep us safe. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. 
the sanctuary. O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever. Amen. The truth of the matter is that no one can compare themselves to God. Not the nations in their power. No man, no idols. You see, God is God. And he is God alone. Today you can go to India and you can look for the remaining ashes of Buddha and find them. You can make your way all the way to Saudi Arabia and you can find there nothing but particles of the Prophet Muhammad. They're all dead and gone. But people today by the thousands have made their journey, some to worship and some to critique, some to investigate, but they all go to that tomb, trying to find the remains of our Savior. And they find to this day absolutely nothing. You know why, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is simple. I wish the world would understand it. You'll never find the living amongst the dead. You'll never find the living amongst the dead. And our Savior is alive and well. He came to demonstrate his love for us. Today, after the cross, we have the greatest privilege to walk with God, ladies and gentlemen. A living Savior and a high priest who is able to understand our challenges in life. Someone who has taken a faithful oath to walk with us throughout this journey toward heaven. Promising to us to deliver us into the Father and to his courts of glory. As a church, again, I say to you without stain or wrinkle. He is alive and well. He knows your ways. He's experienced all of the things that crowd you. He understands and he sympathizes. He sees and he knows and he cares for all you go through. He is someone who has tasted our suffering, who knows all the cares and burdens and trials of our lives. The Bible says we have a high priest who also moved and has compassion. He cares about our infirmities. He understands and he sympathizes our pains and sorrows. All of this is after the cross. What shall be of us after the cross? Well, I don't know what it's going to be for you. But it can be for you that we live out every promise he promised us. You can choose today after the cross to enjoy every promise a faithful Savior has made. Ephesians 3 and 20, you know this verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. According to his power that is in work at work in us. The question of the hour, is he at work in you? After the cross, have you allowed the Lord to infiltrate your heart and begin to fulfill his promises in your life? Have you allowed him to instruct you, to care for you, to love you, to encourage you? Have you allowed him to walk with you and to show you his power? The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord move across to and fro all the earth trying to find someone on whom he can display his power. The choice there is ours. We can choose today to live out our days after the cross in blessing and live a life that is reassured in us knowing that the devil will not get us. Ladies and gentlemen, if the devil wanted to take us to hell, 
after we have received these faithful promises, he's going to have to overcome Jesus. He will have to undo every promise Jesus ever made. He will have to defeat the armies of heaven's angels that protect us daily. And he will have to subdue the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, should we all remind him today that he tried that before? Amen? Do we have to remind the enemy that he tried that before? He tried to destroy what God had created. And again, he will try to destroy us getting to heaven. But if he wants to do that, and if he thinks he's going to be successful in getting you and I into a Christless eternity after everything Christ did for us, he's going to have to arm wrestle with Christ. And let me tell you, he already tried that before. And he lost. And the only thing he gained for himself by that stupidity is an eternal damnation that waits for him and his angels. That is a fact. And let the devil hear this voice. We remind you of your destiny, Satan. You're a liar. We are going to heaven. We are reassured today that heaven is our home. Hallelujah. Our Christianity and faith is not some organization or some denomination. It's not. It's a revelation of the living proof of God's power. Our faith and our walk with God is not about the assemblies of God or any other religion that is out there in this world. It's not about that. It doesn't represent that our walk with God, our daily living as Christian people, is not a demonstration of how good the assemblies or this other or the Baptist or this other religion can be. No, no. It is the evidence of a faithful living God who made promises to a people that if they trusted in him, he would get us all the way to glory. Hallelujah. That's what our walk with God is. That's what our walk with God represents. That is what the church represents to Christ. That group of believers, you and I, who are heaven bound, we have been given promises, ladies and gentlemen, that cannot be changed. You can walk out of here today knowing that if anyone asks you, you think you're going to heaven? I don't think I'm going to heaven. I absolutely know that I'm heaven bound. If you and I don't see any, each other anymore on the face of this earth, then don't cry for me. Because to be absent of this world is to be present in the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. I know that I know that I know. If I could not put my confidence in that, then Christ would have never said to Peter on that day in Matthew 16 and 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, he said. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He said again in Luke 12 and 32, don't be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Not only are we on our way to heaven, but the Lord's excited about us getting there. The Lord is smiling about the thought that you and I one day are going to be in glory with him. We talked about the prodigal. Do you remember the father and the prodigal son we spoke about just a few weeks ago? The joy and the emotion that that father revealed when he saw his son at a distance. So is the heart of the Father in heaven, anticipating with great joy the return of his children 
for all of us to one day go home with him, to be with him forever. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Colossians chapter 11 says, 1.12 says, And giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Turn around and tell your neighbor, I'm qualified. I'm qualified. Hey, Brother Chance, you're qualified, sir. You're qualified. Yeah. We had a nice conversation this morning, my brother and I. Good to meet you. He's been here for a couple of years, you said. We'll be praying for you. We hope to see you more in the house of the Lord. We welcome you at Rock of Ages. Amen. It doesn't matter if the world qualifies you or not. It doesn't matter if those whom don't find you very pleasing or otherwise. It doesn't matter if the devil says you don't qualify. Jesus said he qualifies us. And so I finish this morning as the ushers come with the same question that we began with this morning. What shall it be of us? What shall become of us after the cross? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. This is after the cross. What shall be of us after Calvary? He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That means that he will not let us fail. And he will not let us fall. He will not let us slip through his fingers. We can be reassured of that this morning. Would you stand to your feet with me? I love the thought of being saved, ladies and gentlemen. And I love more the thought of knowing that that salvation we have received from Christ is faithful and, and true. That the rewards that we have been promised of the Lord are faithful and true. That you and I will go to heaven when this life is over. It may not be for a while. He may tarry and all of us may get to live our lives to the fullest here on earth. But he may come today. It shouldn't matter to us. When you're reassured at the end of this journey, let it be now or 50 years from now, we live lives reassured that what, to, what about us after the cross? The Lord will be able to completely save me and qualify me. To be received in his kingdom forever and ever. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.